Get on with it, Macca. I will, Dig. Thank you. I think it's refreshing, yes, refreshing, to find that we live in a country where you can still get out in a horse and with a covered wagon and take the time to refresh. Take a couple of retired standard breads or just your own little horse and build yourself a wagon and away you go. I love my Sundays and you can enjoy it every day of the week too on the podcast. Let's go and join Di on the banks of Forest Creek. Hello, this is Di. Hi, Di. Um, I'm travelling in the, with my Clydesdale and my wagon. It's an old drover's wagon. I'm travelling up to Borellan to the... They have a big uh, good old days festival. They have uh, oh, about 30 horses in harness pulling the wool wagon. They have 36 bullocks in harness pulling a wool And this year, I think they've got about 18 camels pulling a wool wagon. Di, what's your story? Um, I'm retired and fuel's too, too dear. So I'm sitting on the Forest Creek just south of Canago. Last night I was watching the water rats. That was my entertainment. They're very, very playful. And mm. um, oh, we do about 20Ks a day on a good day. But at the moment, there's a real pea super. So I won't be moving anywhere or those big trucks will think I'm a speed hump. Yeah, so you travel on the road, do you? I, I try to get back roads, dirt roads, because the asphalt just wears my horse's shoes out. So uh, I am on a main road at the moment going to Canago. Then I'll go into a, a secondary road up to Collyambly hmm. and then Darlington Point. So, yeah, I just travel along. I camp on stock reserves, stock routes. Um, and I've got two dogs and my horse. I'm my best friends at the moment. Um and I was sitting by a campfire. I've just had breakfast, but when I got up, it was clear because this fog's come in and we might be sitting here for a little while. It doesn't look like lifting at the moment. So, yeah. Di, that'd be a lovely thing to do. So how much of your life do you spend in your in your wagon? Uh, quite a bit, as much as possible. I, I went to Queensland about 20 years ago. I spoke to you and I was on my way to Queensland, a different wagon and a different horse. And I got to Queensland and back <laughs> to Victoria. I left Victoria oh, about three weeks ago, or a month ago, Katupna I was staying at. So, um, yeah, the back roads are nice. They're very nice. And most people, uh, I try, especially on the stock reserves, you can get off onto a secondary road where the stock used to, you know, the stockmen used to go along. So you don't have to be on the asphalt all that, that much. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I just thought I'd ring you and update you. Uh, uh, the water rats are a native. I Googled. I do have a phone for a bit of company, and I Googled about the water rats, Rakali, mm. and they are an Australian native, and they're the only mammal that eat cane toads. Really? Yes. Uh, we, so should be, we should be breeding them up. Well, they're playful. They go. People bipping as they go past. I think they think I'm a hobo, and I am. <laughs> Excuse me, Di, I just got a tickle. Um, so I was going to ask you something. So what's the name of the creek you camped on? Forest Creek. Forest Creek. Now, I bet I bet the water's cold in Forest Creek. You wouldn't want to swim I'm in it. I'm not getting in it to find out. No, um, the but, water rats didn't have uh, goosebumps. No. They uh, see they're little natives. Isn't that, isn't that nice? And see, I bet people would kill them because they think they're just rats, but they're not. They're little native, little possums. They actually nearly hunted them out to extinction for their fur. Did well, they... they'd have to get a lot of water rats to make a coat, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, you know, 
people used to do that with, with koalas and things like that too, didn't yeah. they? Well, they are protected now, but they, they are very playful. Um, uh, <laughs> they sort of duck under the water and come up and I, d I don't know if they knew I was there, so... Now, Di, tell me this, you, you camp on the stock routes, uh, stock routes, but do you take a couple of bales of hay with you to, for the horses I as well? I, I carry a bag of chaff, mm. um, uh, which um, when I get to Canago, I'll see if someone can get me a bag of chaff and drop it off. Uh, yes, and I carry my food. I've got a fridge. I've got a solar, system, a solar panel on top of my wagon. <laughs> so I've got a little fridge in there, so I have cryback meat. No, I live a good life. I can make damper or Johnny cakes and things like that as I go. You know, if I have a, I have a couple of days off here and there. You can't travel every day. No. I mean, you'd be in a nifty little car if you wanted to go fast. Yeah. So 5Ks an hour is our sort of top speed. Di, um, I've got a lovely image of you. Um, I hope to meet <laughs> you sometime, Di. <laughs> Along. Sitting around a campfire, a hobo. Yeah, I'll bring me guitar when my wrist gets better. Oh, okay. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we will put a plate out on the on the road, see if we can get some money. <laughs> no, they'll go whizzing past, die. We'll just no. Yeah. They some stop and wave and and uh, toot their horn. <laughs> Good to talk to you, die. Okay, Macus. Cheerio. See you, doll. Bye. Bye, bye. G'day, Macca. This is John from Canberra. I'm in Sydney uh, having breakfast, getting ready for the city to surf. Oh, that's right. I just went for my coffee and a lot of the roads are closed. Johnny, uh, how long have you been running in the city to surf? Uh, 73 I ran and then in 76, three of us came second to a, a group headed by an unknown bloke by the name of uh, De Costella. Oh. And I run it on and off since then and... Uh, Today, if I run uh, and do twice the time I did in 57, I'll be as happy as uh, 76, I should say. I'll be as happy as the pig in the proverbial. So, John, how old are you? I'm 90. My God. Yeah. But it sounds like in your, in your back in uh, another time, you were a pretty professionally good runner. No, 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 mate. I, I was in the customs department and we were fairly notorious drinkers and I was in Canberra and I looked around, some of these blokes had represented Australia and I said, well, these fellas won't make 40s or 50s and I was considered to be older than them and I said, oh, I'll start to run and then uh, they said, well, you're bloody mad and uh, I said, well, I'm going to last, I'm going to wear out, not rust out, but you blokes, the piss will kill you. So anyway, <laughs> eventually uh, we formed the first ever... Uh, Joggers Club in Canberra to all the customs joggers and uh, a lot of us ran marathons thereafter and um, and we've uh, kept well, a lot of us. And, uh, you know, I work on the principle that, uh, you know, eat less, exercise more. And then the, the favourite one, which I'm sure you'll enjoy, is pain inevi is inevitable and misery is optional. But <laughs> I live in a retirement village, Macca, and it, it, the inmates there, all they're hanging out for is for the free food and, and to sit around and, and give uh, work to doctors. And it's just a joke. These uh, retirement homes, they should have somebody that goes in and checks out the inmates because they're only digging themselves into... Uh, premature graves, and it's a sad situation. A, a bit of exercise. John, you put us all to shame. I mean, I I don't know if I could run the city to surf. Uh, I've got some bad knees at the moment, but um, 
Um, I think a bit of exercise probably, that's what people say, you develop your muscles rather than you know, get uh, doctors to have a look at them. Well, yeah, well, you don't want to, you know, you can always uh, spear yourself with a fork putting the food in your cake hole. But, Maka, <laughs> as you've said in the past, walking. Walking is the key to good health for the elderly. Yeah. But people won't get off their big fat behinds because I might be cold. Oh, gee, it could be wet. <laughs> or, you know, there's morning tea or something. You know, I could miss out on it. But, yeah. you know, it, it's so sad when you see the people who are if reasonably fit, they go into retirement villages. I'm not in a nursing home in yeah. a retirement village, but, yeah. um, you know, the people are just marking time in God's waiting room and they have their morning coffee, so that's a big deal, and they sit around, they talk and eat. Yeah, well, that's um, what we do. That's that's the uh, Australian way now. We have coffee, 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 and we sit around and have coffee all the time. Uh, it's a good lesson, Johnny. I'm very proud of you, John. I don't even know you, but I think it's wonderful that you're going to run in the city of surf, and, uh, yeah, good luck, mate. Well, thanks, Magra. It's just that, you know, people need encouragement and it's not that hard to start. It's harder to keep going and just gradually and kindly treat your body and it'll it'll serve you well if you put the effort into it. Uh, well spoken, mate. Uh, good, good luck, John. I'll see you sometime in Canberra. <laughs> well, I'd love to do that, Magra. I've followed you since birth. All right. <laughs> see, you. see you, mate. <laughs> Shut up, pal. Bye. See ya. Ben's in Alligator Creek. Good morning, Ben. Hey, how you going, Marco? Yeah, good, mate. Going on? Well, mate, I'm just uh, recovering from uh, being out in the uh, cold weather. <laughs> yeah, know. it's nice, though. We've had a good winter this year, nice and long, I think, for yeah. us anyway up here. Yes, it was the same here too, mate. Haven't, this is the first winter I've had for ages, you know, proper winter. Yeah, yeah, no, I like I like winter time. I'm... Um, I, I, I suffer a bit in summertime, but when it's on's good. Yeah. All right, boys. What are you What are you doing, Benny? Mate, I'm out in my horse and cart. I got a couple of um, retired paces, oh. and um, just going for wandering my wagon. It's been probably 20 years since I've done it. All right, boys. Isn't that nice? So, yeah. do you have a pacing up as far as Townsville? They still have. Uh, mate, we we did 20 years ago. Um, that's where I got my first couple of horses from. They they were retired. I think they're about seven or eight years old when they retired, and and I did a bit then. Uh. And um, yeah, I've been out of it for a long time. And I um, my plan is when I retire, I want to pull up and head west. Yeah. And just um, yeah, travel around in my horse and cart. Oh, what a good idea! What a good idea! Is it like a covered wagon or just a cart? Yeah, or? mate. Yeah, no, it's so it's a, just a homemade job, mate. I'm running on holding rims, but it looks like an old gypsy wagon. But it's all just plywood, and a mate's um, father made two the same. Actually, a mate of mine had a couple of big horses years ago, big shy across thoroughbreds, and I had me old standard breds. But um, no, mate, she's all homemade. Got a full roof on it, uh, bench seat out of a Falcon station wagon in the front for me to sit on, <laughs> and then. Um, yeah, big, big, clear area in the back, you know, with a drop-down tailgate. So you live where, in Alligator Creek or Townsville? Allig- no, Alligator Creek, mate. Yeah, I've got uh, five acres just out of town here. Been out here, I don't know, 25 years, I suppose. And So what's, I, the, um, what's the plan? You're going to, at some time, pull up stumps and go for a wander around Australia with your horses and cart? Yeah, I don't know about around Australia, mate. That's probably a bit a, a bit, uh, a bit yeah. far for me, but yeah. I'd like to think that maybe next year I can get away for a for a couple of months and, and just 
you know, probably cart the horses and the wagon to where I want to start and then just do walk up boys and then just do um you know, six or eight weeks just wandering around the countryside. Oh, what a, yeah, what a great way to relax, mate. So um uh, you've got your horses on your property. What's their name? What's your horses' names? So mate, um their stable names are Patch and Bolt, but one fellow's racing name was Patchwork Jet and the other fellow's racing name was Bolter. So they've only been uh, one fellow's been retired four months and one fellow's been retired three months. Got him up out of Brisbane from a, a trainer follower I got put onto down there and he, he sent me one of his retired horses and then he rang me a month later and, and said, um, I found another one for you, are you interested? And I couldn't help myself because it's a big wagon, so I, I sort of need two horses pulling it. One will pull it, but two horses, they pull it easy, you know? Yeah, exactly. So um, it, it's a life after racing for him, you know? A lot of them... Um, go to be retrained for ridden horses. Yeah. But, um, yeah, mate, I, I can't fault them for, for carriage horses. Like, they already know how to pull. they just got to now learn how to work as a pair, you know, as a team and pull together. Benny, that sounds like a lovely thing. And it's cool there this morning in Alligator Creek. Yeah, mate, she's got to be 12 or 13, I suppose. I've got a, got a pair of jeans and a long shirt on, but I, I like to try and cool my bones down. So summertime, I hope that, the coolness in my bones releases in summer when it's hot. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, the older you get, I think the worse it is in summer. It's a pain in the neck unless you can find somewhere cool. Maybe go up to Atherton or somewhere, mate. It gets yeah. I, I, I work outside, mate. I drive trucks for a living, so I'm um, I'm out in the in the sun in summertime. I can't really dodge that. But no, in wintertime, mate, I like to um, get up nice and early. And there's not many days I miss the sun coming up. And um, <laughs> Yeah, this is my happy place. <laughs> Next time we're in Townsville, I'd love to go down and do it. We did a program down on the uh, Strand there, for, oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, three or four years ago. But it's a lovely morning. Yeah, yeah. You bring your horse and cart down if we, if we get there, mate. You don't keep... worry, mate. So I've, um, I've already got one mate, that the, the mate that I did this with 20 years ago. I've got photos of, of us down in a creek camping out at Majors Creek with his, oh, his boy would only been six or seven months old at that stage. And... Um, he actually graduates from tech this year, and he's already hit me up to um, take him to his graduation in the horse and cart. So <laughs> I've got to get a bit of work into him. But no, mate, I think I'll um, I'll probably surprise a few people around Christmas and maybe do a one one quick lap of the strand with Santa Claus in the back. Maybe you know, see how we go. I don't know how the police are going to like it, but uh, what, what can they do? You know, they might chat me a bit. But Benny, think, that's um, the, that's the way to that's the way to live life, mate. Good on you, Benny. No worries, mate. Have a good weekend, eh? See you, mate. Bye. G'day, Maka. It's Jacinta here calling in from Alice, a very, very cold Alice Springs. Yes, I've heard it's cold. Uh, Jacinta uh, was minus 0.6, I think, yesterday. It's probably something similar this morning. Absolutely. And we were at the Telegraph station last week. Uh-huh. Now, what, what are you doing in uh, Alice Springs, Jacinta? Tell us your story. Yeah, well, first of all, it's wonderful to speak with you. You're very popular with our group. We, um, uh, we're we doing a fundraiser. We have just completed a fundraising walk. We walked the Lara Pinta Trail, 18 of us, raising money for awareness of gynecological cancers, especially ovarian cancer. And we just wanted to call in and, and your friend Eileen, I think, called, called in. She's oh, waving that, at me. That's right. She did. She rang last week and told us about, but, basically about it. And she said they were going to... You were all going to uh, walk the Lara Pinta, and we and we have. And um, I'm calling in because um, I'm there were doctors and researchers and everybody on the trek, and and I'm a patient, so I'm a survivor of ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. 
And I just want to do everything, everything I can to help other women avoid what I've gone through. It's, it's just a terrible diagnosis. It's a terrible treatment. It is a terrible survival rate. And all these wonderful people are raising money to, you know, help, you know, my nieces, my daughter, our children to not go through this. Yeah. And uh, as I think Eileen said, um, there's not enough money. There's not enough money for anything, really, is there? Just you know, no. I mean, isn't it? It's quite bizarre. We live in this country and this world, but we'll just concentrate on our country, where there's so much money. We're awash. Some are awash with money, and yet for the the things that really matter in life, like victims of floods and fires mm-hmm. and victims of cancer, um, we just scrabble around and you know ask the people down the road to give ten dollars and stuff like that. It just seems I just can't, you know, I can't understand that. You know, I can't understand some people with billions and billions of dollars and yet we're still scrabbling for money and it's usually down to ordinary little Australians to to kick in and, and give money. Um, I just don't, I can't understand it, Jacinda. Yeah, and, um, well, I, I, I think um, I can't speak for the billionaires, but um, <laughs> it has been the... It, it has been our neighbours. All of us have raised a, quite a quite a fair bit of um, money just by asking our neighbours, our friends, um, family. It, it's been fabulous. We've had donations from twenty five dollars up to sort of five thousand dollars. I shouldn't talk about money. It's so crass, isn't it? But oh, that's well, what we're here for. Exactly. That's what we're here for, and, and that's what saved my life. Research. Um, I received. Um, the sort of absolute cutting edge um, treatment in Australia two years ago. And, and frankly, I just would not be here without that. It's mine was a very bad diagnosis. And um, when I was diagnosed um, three years ago, I only had a one in three chance of surviving five years. And I got this new treatment and, and other women obviously getting this new medication and it's first change in 30 years for ovarian cancer. So you know, most of us have die within five years, um, and I certainly have a good chance of getting past that five years. So that's very special. I'll say, Jacinda, now, and and because you survive, you can do things like walk the Larapinta, which not many have, was, not many have done. And I think a, a bloke rang this morning. He's ninety, and he's just about to run in the city to surf, and he's ninety, and. And he puts us all to shame. And he said, you know, his his thing was, you know, we all need to get up and do some exercise. That's what we need to do. But Jacinda, to walk the Larrapinda is a lovely thing. Oh, it's absolutely fabulous. It, it was hard, hard, hard. We were up in the dark every every um, <laughs> night. It was ice. You know, you couldn't sit down on the benches. We We had the swags and the tents were covered <laughs> in ice. But the guides were fabulous and we climbed Mount Sonder to see the sunrise, and oh my God, that is the hardest thing. That is harder than surgery. It's harder than chemotherapy. Oh my God! I thought I'm going to get killed. I'm going to die up here out of sheer relief, and <laughs> it's over. Yeah, so d- the team was fantastic. We we and we're not all. I mean, I'm obviously not young, but I'm in my sixties. But they were. I'm happy to say that even the young guys found it hard. <laughs> But uh, I recommend it. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Yes, and and uh, yeah, they're having a winter like everybody in Australia seems to be having a winter, which we haven't had for I don't know twenty years. As I said yeah. the other, you know, for the first time I can remember since I was a kid, I've had cold hands in the morning. You know, 
but and I haven't had that for for ages because we just have we haven't had a winter where I live we haven't had a winter you know you might get three or four days that were cold and then it's back to you know mid teens and stuff well now it's every day's nearly below um the overnights are in single figures you know it's very cold down here yes in the in the desert but during the days it was very it was beautiful it was warm and we had one day of rain if you can imagine out in the desert that was that was amazing um and we all got a bit wet but that was fine oh oh actually my my little cheer team here is reminding me this morning we all had to wade across the the i think it was the fink river so we're all up to our waist wading across carrying our backpacks wow i know that was a bit unexpected today but um i was it was absolutely spectacular so if anyone can do it or if anyone can even do parts of it i couldn't recommend you know Lara Pinter's brilliant. So now, Jacinda, tell me, I, I can't really remember. Um, Ireland said something about can. Is it can do or can? What's the what's the well, the, the charity? Yes, yeah. um, women can. Women, so, women can. That's right. Yeah. So women can. So obviously, but but women can do do anything, and we so we raise money for all gynae cancers. So mm. and um and it's just a great organisation. Well, you know that gives. Uh, people an idea they can go and find that online and, and if they want yeah. to donate they can do that jacinda where do you live jacinda um i'm in um sutherland all right in, so in, South in, South Wales, the, yeah. in the shire in sydney yeah. yeah yeah and we we're all from all over we've got um someone from darwin a couple of people from hobart um there's a couple there's four of us from the shire um where else are we from victoria all over all yeah. over all right, well, and we're particularly raising money for research, so that's that's our thing. And that's what you need, don't you? You know, it's uh, we'll all get some sort of affliction, but um, if we've got the research to help people through whatever sort of cancer it is, and cancer is the big thing, and and um, our just little grab there was Chris last week, who's a pharmacist, talking about melanoma, and and even since the quite amazing statistic since the slip slop slap thing, which everybody heard of. Um, Mm-hmm. which started, I don't know, 20 years ago or something like that. I can't remember. But he said since that, uh, you know, melanomas have increased worldwide three, uh, threefold uh, yes. since that time. So, you know, um, the more research we can do about all cancers and especially the women cancers, um, gynecological cancers, the the better we'll all be. Absolutely. Because the, the gyne cancers are sort of embarrassing and we're all a bit, I mean, that's one of the hardest things. You suddenly have to start talking about things you were brought up not to talk about, and so, <laughs> so the gynae cancers are all a bit mysterious. And I'm sure other, if, if there are other trekkers walking past us, they wouldn't have believed that you know we're talking about vaginas and vulvas and mm. breasts and and surgery. I'm sorry to say that on the ABC, but I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it, these, there were some young guys on the on the trek and they learned I'm sure more than they ever wanted to know <laughs> so. well I think that's great it should be more of it Jacinta and, yes. it, and really nice to see you uh, talk to you rather and I'll see you in Sutherland sometime thanks so much Maggot thanks for talking to us it's, bye it's a pleasure bye <laughs> This is the All Over News. Everyone's heard of the varroa mite infestation in the honeybee industry, and I thought that we should talk to our bee correspondent, Keith Steele. Good morning, Keith. Uh, give us a perspective about 
what this means to the large honey producers and the backyard beekeepers, of which there are thousands in Australia. The ultimate of it is, if it does break out, up to 60 to 90% of beekeepers could lose their livelihood. In other countries, it's roughly been about 60%. It occurs because the mite get onto the bee. The bees take it back to the hive. And apart from infecting them, there's 20 or more serious infections that they can deliver. One that I'm very, very worried about is deformed wing, where the, the little bees hatch out the new infant ones and all their wings are all deformed and that and they can't fly in the air. It looks terrible. At the moment, we've just got a few things like fowl brood and, and, and hive beetle and wax moth and things like that. It's a, a walk in the park, really, apart from the AFB. But this thing is like COVID and everything else, AIDS and everything all mixed into one. It's a really, really serious, deadly thing. And there's no cure for them. And the only way we're doing it now is to lock up the hives at night, pour a cup of petrol over them, lock them up, and they all get killed. And then they take out the boxes with the bees in and just burn them. You know, They've done that to oh, maybe 1,500 or might be more. I'm, I'm not right up with the figures. That's basically what it is at the moment. We're the only country in the world that never had it. We've had two or three little outbreaks before, but they've contained it. The lucky thing about it is it's winter now. The bees are more or less dormant and there's no swarming, but comes spring, early September, October, every hive just about will swarm and, and they'll be taking, if they've got them, varroa out and all over the wilderness. And the thing of it is, Ian, that it's been here, detected here in December last year. So that's seven months to spread it all around. One varroa can jump from one bee, say my bee to your bee on the same flower, then goes back to your hive and back to mine and uh, spreads it all around the place. Terribly debilitating thing. It's going to ruin almonds. It's going to ruin blueberries, everything. You know, all the big crops that they use. Well, canola or anything at all, but mainly other things like almonds. Says that they use about 60 to 100,000 beehives just alone in those southern areas of Adelaide and Victoria for the for their almonds. Sunraysia is a big area down there in South Australia. They're talking now that they haven't got the bees to pollinate the crops now because we're all in lockdown type of thing. We're not allowed to move from here or there. We can look at our bees and check them, but that's about it. No people can buy queen bees off anyone now. They're all stopped. So I don't know how I'm going to get on. I want to requeen all my hives in springtime, but that's taboo. People have yeah. talked about varroa mite for years and years and years and years, but yeah. now yeah. it's finally come to it's pass. It's finally come. If I may say so, you know, I've followed it for years and years with America and with England and with Canada on, on YouTube, and I'm, I'm right up with the whole thing of how they do it. But not only is it going to be hard to keep out of the place, when it comes in here, all the chemicals, all the things that you've got to do, you're looking, might be looking at $10,000 a year, per commercial beekeeper to do all his hives and, and he hasn't got the time to do this and do that and everything. He, he's flat out now, you know, getting the honey off. And I really feel sorry for these people. Some weeks ago, we spoke to Andy Donaldson, who was about to embark on a swimathon, I suppose, if you like, actually an Ocean 7 swim, attempting to complete the seven great ocean swims of the world in one calendar year, beginning with the English Channel, which he's just completed. Andy's in London. And he's on the line. Good morning, Andy Donaldson. How are you? Good morning, Mark. I'm very well, thanks. How are you getting on? Yeah, how was it? (laughs) 
that's one tough beast that is the English Channel. I mean, they call it the Everest of swimming, and uh, it certainly lived up to its billing on the day. Yeah, well, I had a bit of a report here. It says everything was going great, but we got a bit caught out by the tides on the French side and ended up swimming an extra three k's. But ultimately, we were out there to fly the flag for Black Dog and to maximise whatever the channel gave us. What did the channel give you? <laughs> well, to be honest, the, the channel gave us probably some quite, I'm sure your listeners are aware of British weather and how unpredictable it can be. So it was relatively calm, beautiful sunny skies. And, you know, we took a straight tack line from, from Shakespeare Beach in Dover, heading for the fr- French coastline. You know, everything was going to plan, but those tide and currents are, are something else. And we certainly felt them. And, it, and they certainly kicked in towards the end, just when you're sort of on your last legs and probably... <laughs> you're most tired that's when you need to pick up at the end of the day we were doing that to promote mental health in the black dog institute and don't we need that in these times these troubled times we live in and you just about broke the record is that right tell me yeah we finished in eight hours exactly so zero zero seconds which (laughs) i would have loved to have gone under I knew it was going to be right on the, uh, down to the wire, down to the last couple of strokes. And that was a new British record, so it, it beat the previous mark that, that got set about 34 years ago. And it's, it's the fastest crossing of the last 10 years, so that was, that was really amazing. The overall record, the world record, still stands. That's held by Australian marathon legend Trent Grimsey, and that's 6 hours 55. You know, I'm just absolutely in awe of what he's done, and I've got better understanding of the channel now, and it's, it's just amazing what he's done. To stand the test of time, again, it all really comes down to the conditions as well and taking advantage of whatever it's given. Andy, I was up at the coffee shop the other day. Now, this is apropos of nothing. The barista there, Mark, he said to me, how you going, Mac? He said, what's on the program this week? I said, oh, look, I don't know. We might talk to a bloke who's just swum the English Channel. He says, oh, isn't that funny? He said, uh, I've got three of my customers here who come and get coffee. And he said, the three of them have swum or are going to swim the English Channel. And I thought, well, they must be, you know, queued up to jump in the water. What's this? Did you, did you happen to bump into any others? It's, it's quite amazing, Mac. Uh, you, you go down to the beach. There's a there's a beach in Dover called Swimmers Beach. And you can bump into people from all over the world. You know, I bumped into Australians, South Africans, Americans. And they all they all have this common goal of, of trying to successfully complete the, the channel. And you're kind of in the trenches together and, and preparing for to try to attempt your goal. There's people there that have so much experience and they're so willing to share it and, and any knowledge that they have because they just want to see people succeed, which is just so lovely. So the challenging thing, I mean, obviously the, the channel is one challenge itself, but it's 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 the waiting around that's the real difficult part of the English Channel you know you could be sat waiting in Dover for the weather for days upon weeks and you don't necessarily know which day you're going to go so sounds a bit like D-Day when they were going to invade France again you know they the same thing was happening wasn't it they were looking at the weather that's it and you're sitting in limbo or on edge all the time I was quite lucky I had about 12 hours notice before I I was swimming but some people only get one of my friends who was swimming at Fiona Colony and she only had about three hours notice before getting the call up to to her swim is very demanding on your mental strength you've just got to stay as calm as you can and 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 relaxed and composed and you know when your time comes you just got to be ready and and take the opportunity that you're given it's funny isn't it because australians like to do things i know the other thing australians like to do is do the kokoda track 
And uh, so they go, That's, it's like a rite of passage. And also swimming the English Channel. You know, I, I can remember Des Renford and Linda McGill were just two fairly famous Australians that tackled and swam the English Channel. But we keep wanting to do it. And when I talked to the barista bloke the other day, Mark, he said, I said, why are they doing that? He said, oh, some are doing it for charity, but some are just doing it because it's there. But you've got a great cause. You're doing it for Black Dog, which is wonderful. And uh, as I said, we need it more than ever. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. I mean, it's been a real tough time these last couple of years. And swimming is something I got back into during during the COVID lockdown. I, I was retired from the sport for a number of years. You know, I just found myself back in the water and it really helped me with my uh, managing my mental health uh, provided, you know, great access to community, which I think is, is so important in these times. I just realised that I might be in a position to help and then use my swimming as a vehicle to, to get the word out there. This is the first of the Ocean 7 for me. That's what I, I, um, I thought to myself. Don't get ahead of yourself because you've got six more to go. That's it. This is just the beginning. Good to get one under the belt and, and hopefully we can just go continue from strength to strength and continue using this um, challenge as a platform for, for raising awareness for a good cause. You didn't happen to bump into the lion's main jellyfish? I didn't happen to bump into the lion's main jellyfish. We swam over quite a few jellies, but um, I, I don't know, maybe by some short miracle, um, I didn't actually swim into any. And it's been hot over there? There's been a heat wave. I mean, a heat wave for the UK means sort of mid-20s, so... <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> you know, our houses, our houses here aren't built for it. Just like Aussie ones are prob- perhaps not built for the winter, so or the cold. So it's funny the temperature goes up and the, and the nation grinds to a halt because it just can't cope. It's interesting. Uh, I love it. I mean, I, I've I've missed British summer times. It's been a number of years since I was last here during the summer. Yeah, I think and, I think and... summer was supposed to be on a Tuesday this year, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even half a Tuesday, I don't know. <laughs> Andy Donaldson, good luck, mate. You keep in touch. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. It's pretty easy in these times of a phone in your hand, connected to the world as you walk, you drive or you fly, and to take such ease of communication for granted. But Monday week, the 22nd of August, will mark the completion of the Overland Telegraph Line, which basically connected Australia to the world. Back in 1872, we were doing an outside broadcast in Tamworth in January 2020, and I spoke to Ros Burton. She was writing a book about the Overland Telegraph Line. This is part of what she said. You're writing a book about the Overland Telegraph Line. What have you found out about that? Well, a lot, I have to say. It's 150 years since they started building it this year. So um, they planted the first pole in Darwin uh, in September 1870. They were meant to have it finished by the 1st of January 1872. And the South Australian government had promised that they would pay for it and it would be finished. And that's why they got the contract. And then, of course, they didn't, hadn't factored in the wet season in the north. And there was so much time when they couldn't actually put the poles into the ground and they couldn't do anything. And the, all the, the working groups were just sitting on hillocks, you know, eating dry biscuits for months on end, thinking this might be the end of them. It, it just made such a, such a difference to 
communication because prior to that, you know, they were relying on the mail ship. And uh, when that line was connected from Adelaide to Darwin and, and then the undersea cable went to Java and then wiggled, you know, India. Connected Australia to the world, didn't it? Yes, yes. And uh, suddenly at seven hours for a message and not three months, well, more, it would be three months one way and then probably the ship would wait for a month and be three months back. So correspondence was, could take seven, eight months or longer. I, I was just riveted. We were uh, following the Udna Data track, my husband and I, in 2006, and uh, we stopped at Kurdamika's siding, the railway siding, and uh, they had the telegraph poles there uh, beside the siding, just near Lake Eyre. And that's when I thought, gosh, this is just quite an extraordinary story, that this single line of wire ran for, for over 3,000 kilometres uh, right the way through the heart of Australia. And you can still see some of those poles. I don't know if they've all been collected, but there's in, in various little parts of South Australia, you can st see some of the poles and some of the little um, insulators around the place. Yes, yes, absolutely, you can. Um, and that, that's, that's what's fascinating. You know, there's still signs of it yeah. today. And you, you come into... Um, Alice Springs on the Old South Road, you can, you can still see, see the wires. And uh, also down at Maryvale Station, you can see the old Oppenheimer poles, those metal poles that elongated, and the, the camels used to... Ca very good, easy for a camel to carry an Oppenheimer pole. So, uh, yes. That was Ros Burton two years ago, and she'll be my guest right here in the studio after the news. My guest this morning, who hasn't been able to get a word in edgeways since 25 past eight, is Ros, Ros Burton, who's writing, or has written a book. Last time I talked to her, she was writing it, or was trying to find a publisher. How is trying to find a publisher for her book about the Overland Telegraph Line, which there's, for which next Monday week on the 22nd, at just south of Dunmara at Fruz, what's it called, Ros? Fruz Pond. Fruz Pond. There's a commemoration. The Governor of South Australia will be there, the Northern Territory Administrator. And it is a big deal. Not many people all know about it, but it's a big deal when Australia is really connected to the world back in 1872. Take yourself back in 1872. Burke and Wills have just come to grief a few years before that, haven't they? Um, in 1860, was it 61 or 60? 1860, yes. Yeah, something like that. So... It's an interesting time in the development of the great Australian land. Um, tell me how it was trying to find a publisher. Was that uh, that was probably a piece of cake? Was it? They, they were they, they were bashing your door down, the little possums. Well, uh, I think when you you write about a project that that's complicated, I think yeah. uh, often you find. Things are complicated for you, actually. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's trendy the, things in the world that people, you know, they can't wait to publish books about the trendy things, and I won't mention them. But you know, overland. Oh, what's the overland? Is there any sex or drugs in that? Violence? No. You know. Um, I think that I think my problem, Macca, was that it took me quite a long time to to finish it, mm. um, and therefore that time was ticking on as it was for them that they had this contract and I was thinking gosh I, I really do need to get it out mm. this year because yeah. it's the 150th anniversary uh, and so it'll the be time is right the time is right so you finally so I, so I was in it I was uh, under a great deal of pressure 
And I'm incredibly grateful to Wakefield because I just feel they're the perfect publishers and they're based in South Australia. They're in Adelaide. Yeah, and that's right. They yeah. really understand uh, the history of South Australia because that was one of the things uh, when I was following the Overland Telegraph line uh, was this extraordinary history that started to unravel and the fact that, in fact, the Northern Territory was part of South Australia mm. from 1863 yeah. until 1911 um, because of the telegraph line. And then that, that was the thing that you never realised, that Tennant Creek and Catherine and Darwin really exist because of the Overland Telegraph yeah, Line. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you take that... For granted. For granted. Alice Springs, of yeah, course, yeah. you know, named after Charles Todd's wife. Well, somebody just rang from the, weren't they, just, just outside the, um, the what's the name of the telegraph office in Alice Springs this morning? They rang, isn't there a, isn't there a building there? Yeah, yes, yeah. They, yeah, there's the, um, well, there's the Alice Springs Telegraph Station. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, somebody rang from there this morning. Now, tell us quickly, the telegraph stations all along the line, they used to record the weather, is that right? Yes, yes, because yeah. one of the duties of um, the people working at the stations was to report was to record the weather every day and then to report it back to Adelaide. Imagine doing that job in, in out in the middle of nowhere in those days. There's no mobile phones and you can't nip up the street for a latte um, or a turmeric latte or whatever. You know, it's just your isolation and maybe they were living there with their family and, my God. Uh. There was an Irishman, actually, who cycled the length of it very early on and um, he was incredibly relieved when he'd get to a telegraph station because he could eat and uh, <laughs> cycling had made him very hungry and uh, so he ate and ate and ate and there'd be meals and he would sort of eat four times as much as everybody else. I, I know that 90-year-old you spoke to earlier today, Macca, yeah. was saying don't eat too much, but I think when you're cycling long distances, you probably need to eat a lot. Yes, exactly, exactly. Now, when I spoke to you in Tamworth back in 2020, we talked about words as well. Now, when you're out there in, the, in Australia, it makes an a, impression on you and words, as my mother would say, you know, when I did something ridiculously stupid, she'd say, words fail me. Um, and words do fail you when you look at the great expanse of Australia, don't they? You look at jump ups and spin effects and hills and stuff. And you were talking about sort of Irish words, um, um, one word to describe something, or Aboriginal words too. They have one word to describe something that it's only that word that will describe a certain feature or something. Yes, you... yes. One of the things I really felt um, as it was travelling up the line because it was just vast distances and one was really in the most beautiful country and and it was almost an inability to describe the language, to, 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 not to describe the language, the, the lack of language to describe the country. Features, yeah. Yes, and... You're sort of grasping for words, and the the words that I had grown up with somehow, we I grew up in the country, but they at times feel so inadequate to yeah. describe Australia, and and then that's this extraordinary thing, which of course comes up, you know, when you're travelling, is that feeling of of belonging and and can you belong, um, and and how how can you really feel part of 
part of land, and uh, of course, that's that's a. That's why I think those little sayings, like as I said, words fail me, um, and they do often. They do fail you. And, and those little sayings, I think everybody. That's how you live your life, really. Even whether you think they're old-fashioned or not, words fail me. You know, I don't know whether I'm Arthur or Martha. All those sort of little sayings that you grew up with, they're just so. They still. They always work. I've been talking to Ros Burton. She's the author of. Um, Whispering Wire. Whispering. And if you want to go to um, Dunmurrah, just south of Dunmurrah at Frew's Pond. Frew's Pond and drink some of the whiskey before it's broken. Uh, they're smashing a thing for the opening of the op- and telegraph line. Ros, it's been great to see you again. Thanks so much, Maka. Thanks for coming in. Hello, Maka. It's Linda. Hi, Linda. I'm calling you. Hi, I'm calling you from Scotland. From Ballater in the Just in keep the talking, Scottish Linda. Highlands. In the Scottish... Yeah, I'm calling Scottish Highlands. Yep. I'm just over here. I'm from central Queensland. Just over here on holiday at the moment, visiting my son and grandchildren. Well, it's exciting to know that we're getting uh, we've got someone uh, you're not in a phone box in, in uh, the Scottish Highlands, are you? But Linda No, is... I I tried to find one. I tried very hard <laughs> to find one but I couldn't. <laughs> so I just thought I'd give you a quick call. I've yeah. been a, a long-time listener, many, many decades, and first-time caller. Uh, good on you. So you're visiting your son, did you say? Yes, that's correct. Uh-huh. And what's he do over there? Uh, he's in the police force. Oh, I see. There you go. So is this your first time in Scotland? No, no. Probably my 10th visit. Yeah. Wow. You'll you'll have a brogue yeah. soon, a Scottish brogue when you talk. <laughs> Not quite, no. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Well, that's exciting. I've always wanted to get to Scotland. I've got some Scottish antecedents, but um, I've never made it. But uh, we will. We will. We'll get there sooner or later. To Ed- yeah, Edinburgh yeah. and Weather's Dundee. Weather's very hot here at the moment. Yep. 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 What's very hot? Um, the weather. Yeah, mm, I know. But what's, when you say very hot, what's... Oh, 20, 27, 28. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like winter in Queensland, well, mate. It is exactly, exactly. I bought clothes for winter, but um, for our winter, but it's even hotter than that. Yeah. But anyway, I won't hold you. It's lovely to talk to you, yeah, and um, uh, and, yeah. it, and it gives us the all-over feeling, Linda, when you call from the Scottish Highlands. Um, yes, pick a little heather, heather for me, if you would. And lovely to talk to you, Linda. I was I was walking on some today, Macca. <laughs> Great to talk to you, Linda. Okay. Bye. Bye. Marty's in the Alice. Good morning, Marty. Morning, Macca. How are you? Yeah, good, Marty. Two degrees here, mate. Two. A little bit, a little bit warmer in the sunshine. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful but, day all around. Do you live in the Alice? Do you, Marty? No, mate. I'm up from um, Newcastle. I'm here for the. Uh, I work for the Australian Men's Shed Association. And we're up here supporting the Black Dog Ride. Their ride to the Red Center. Oh, we right. On a, yeah, we've got a, a, over, oh, it's amazing, Mac. Like, probably about 450 riders came in from all over the country and congregated here in Alice Springs over the weekend. And um, Motorbike riders, yeah. right? Motorbikes? Yeah. Not push bikes, motorbikes, yeah. yeah. No, motorbikes, motorbikes, no. You wouldn't want to do those thousands of Ks on, on a push bike, I think they, yeah. But made it all, I don't know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Black Dog Ride, but it's all about raising awareness for, um, Suicide prevention and mental health. And, oh well, uh, they do uh, a, an incredible job. 
Yeah, well, I've been talking, yes, Black Dog. I know all about Black Dog. Um, and yeah. uh, we just spoke to Andy, Andy Donaldson, who's a Scottish-Australian. Ah. Scottish He's swimming the seven great swims of the world to raise awareness for mental health. And watch, wow. watch, yeah. watch, watch uh, he just swum the channel. Um, Marty, what's your yeah. story? Uh, well, I'm up here representing the Australian Men's Shed Association. So we've uh, got some support from the uh, Black Dog uh, ride this year to produce a fragrance called Shed Mates, which is all about looking after your mates in the shed and looking after their welfare in the shed. In, in you know, when that when they're in the shed and when they have to, kind of time comes, they have to leave the shed. So it's through the support of the uh, Black Dog ride that we were able to produce that. So we're up here to uh, sort of support them at the Red Centre ride, and we put on a barbecue for them with the help of the Alice Springs Men's Shed yesterday afternoon. And uh, we also formed a, a giant human logo of the Shedmates logo on the uh, Blatter Skype Park Oval yesterday. It was an amazing day, an amazing day. And there's such great sports, all the riders. Marty, did you get involved with um, Black Dog for any reason or just because it was there? Well, they actually, they actually approached us and uh, wanted to, to show some support, uh, see what we, they could do to support men's sheds throughout Australia. And uh, we thought the best idea was that the, the Shedmates program or resource that we wanted to produce was something that's been on our radar for a long time. And um, the, the funding from Black Dog Ride helped us to be able to produce that. And we've been rolling it out all over the country. Mm. All right. Yeah. Marty, um, I just get bewildered when I... You know, the um, you hear about Paul Green, the rugby league, and there was Danny oh. from the, the AFL bloke a couple of years ago, and but uh, but oh. they're the ones you hear about, Marty, aren't they? They're the ones. I, I, I know. The, I the, know, but it just the the thing I we do hear about it because it still raises the issue, and I I put a you know on my personal Facebook a post saying why is this still happening and how is this still happening, and it doesn't need to happen anymore. I mean, the the helps out there. So why why are people still slipping through the cracks, and why? You know, why aren't they seeking the help that's so readily available now? Well, Marty, I think that's exactly right, but I think there's more to it, Marty. I, I just, yeah. I think sometimes it's just um, a bridge too far. You know, I think, yeah. you know, and you just got to do what you are doing and what many, many Australians are doing. Help where you can. That's all you can do. But um, uh, you're bewildered and you think, well, I could have, you know, I could have, but you can't. In some ways, it's it's beyond. But, you know, Paul Green, for instance, I'm sure was in a high-profile thing and he's he's had the highs and the lows, the highs of winning the premiership Absolutely. and all that goes with that. And then and then yeah. he's sort of, he's out of it, you know, and all of a sudden. And yeah. that and and for certain personality types, that would be hard, be hard to deal with for anyone. But for some, it's like, it's... It's like many it's like many uh, roles. It's that they be, you can sort of become sort of institutionalized in a way, mm. especially the military. I mean, you know, and when you leave that, and it's just it's normal place to leave the workforce. Yeah, and you don't they have become, that support base too if you mates. That's right. That's right. And that's why there's a lot to be said about the transition into retirement. And we work with a lot of organisations and companies about. Uh, uh, you know, responsibility after after retirement of their workforce. Yeah. You know? Good on you, Marty. Good yeah. luck, mate. Keep warm. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Good on you, Marco. See you, mate. Bye. Michael's in Perth. Morning, Michael. Yeah, g'day, Macca. Michael Gallus, Nookumbar Cattle Station, Kalkaria Community School Acting Joint Principal. Made the 21-hour trip down to Perth with uh, 
12 students to watch the Dockers and the Eagles last night. What an amazing experience for these kids. I'll bet. Who won that? Probably the Dockers, did they? Yeah, the Dockers. It was a pretty close game for a half, and then the Dockers ran away with it. It took us um, two hours. I had to hire a massive orange four-wheel drive bus, two hours up the dirt road, turn left at the green box, five hours to Broome, and um, and then the flight from Broome down to Perth. Uh, one small issue, they put me and another teacher on a different flight, Macca. So we had a bit of a chat to Qantas that that's not going to work too well with the uh, 12 kids who've never been out of their community, nevertheless on a plane. And oh. I'll tell you what's the most exciting thing down here for a Macca is, uh, is the trains. They're so excited about the trains and we're off to the zoo today and uh, put them on a train and let's see how we go. Well, they've probably not seen a train before, eh? No, I don't think so. And uh, and sushi's been all I like. We've been uh, we've been doing a little bit of shopping, and uh, every time we go past the sushi shop, the Kolkaria community kids from Nookambar Cattle Station are just loving the sushi. Because uh, as you might imagine, not too much sushi out in Nookambar. No, I wouldn't have thought so, Mike. Uh, I wouldn't have thought so. But that's a lovely, lovely story. Great for the kids. I'd love to see the smiles on their faces. And um, yeah, I suppose they're staring in all directions, are they, to see all this? Yeah, they certainly are. I've got to keep stepping in front of them. Not too many cars in Nookambar either, and uh, <laughs> so they just sort of wander around on the roads. And uh, you've got to uh, you've got to have your eyes and ears everywhere uh, to make sure. And uh, <laughs> we also the Fremantle Dockers have been absolutely sensation. They took them for a training session yesterday and kitted them out in all their gear. Had to take them to Anaconda because uh, a couple of kids were getting hypothermia with the rain in uh, Perth uh, yesterday and. We, they, we walked into the shop as uh, 12 kids and came out as 12 Eskimos, but they were very warm. They're very warm now. <laughs> well, it's, they'll remember this all their life, but they'll probably want to go back now to get the sushi, I'd say. Yep. Yeah, I, I think so. Or maybe, think so you could, I, maybe you could open a sushi shop at uh, Nookumba. Yeah, maybe. Oh, you got to love this one too, Maga. We went to a bank. You know, we all go to banks. Yeah. I tell you, you could not see 12 more excited kids going into the Westpac Bank there in Northbridge. And the three managers were so excited to uh, give them a bit of a tour and some money boxes. And it was just off the cuff. And, and that's what you forget, don't you? You've got names such as... And look out, listen out for these names because they can play some AFLW. LC Mulligan. Tessica Bennett, Montana Constain, and uh, Nagita Skinner. I mean, they, these are kids that uh, if you give them that opportunity and you inspire them, they can do anything in their lives. It doesn't matter how far away or where they live in life. Enjoy the uh, zoo today, Michael, and say good day to the kids. Love to see them on Nookumbar sometime. Yeah, no, I'd love to have you up there, Macca. Good on you, mate. See ya. See ya, Macca. Bye. G'day, this is Macca. It's Chris in Mount Isa. Oh, how are you, Chris? Yeah, good, Macca. Good. How are you? Oh, I wish I was at the radio with you. Exactly, mate. You know what it's all about up here at the radio. It's a great day. It's 12 degrees, absolutely clear blue skies, and it's a huge crowd. Yeah, I bet it is. Um, Chris, what do you do? I retired school of the air teacher, Macca. I was at school of the air for 25 years, but I've retired now. And um, you're, riding, yeah, just you're riding Broncos and Bulls. No. Oh, no, mate. I was just one of the volunteers working the bars and doing, doing what needs to be done to make sure it works. Big crowd, big, a uh, lot of visitors. A lot of caravans down, down, on the, down on the racetrack and in town. The town is absolutely chockers at the moment, Macca. Is, uh, is Fred Brophy uh, there? Did he have the boxing tent there? 
Yeah, I've been working with Fred the last two or three nights. We had a massive crowd last night. It was, um, yeah, if you, you, you know Fred's tenants, uh, it was very good. And we had a very good night there last night. Except for the people who got a smack in the mouth. They wouldn't have had a good night. I oh, know. Everyone's got to go home to their family at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, well, they wear they wear thingos now, don't they? They wear um, you know, headgear and all that sort of stuff, don't they? Oh, no, no, not in, not in Fred's tent. They don't. If they happen to bring a mouth guard, they can put it in, but otherwise it's um, what they're wearing. Yeah, well, say, if you see Fred, say good day. Tell him Macca said to say good day. Um, oh, well, I, I definitely will. Yeah. So, Chrissy, um, and that continues, what, today's the last day, is it? Yeah, today's the last day. We're into the finals today, so um, it's all the, the bigger bulls and the you know the bigger bucking horses and the saddle broncs. Then it's all the uh, the open stuff today. And a lot of little cowboys and cowgirls there. I love it. I just love the Mount Isa Radio. I love all the radios. Oh, there's there's plenty of dinner plate buckles walking around, Mac. You know what it's like. Yeah, it's fantastic, mate. And and lots of fancy shirts. Lots of fancy shirts. Maker, if I can quickly share one funny little story talking about belt buckles. Many years ago at School of the Air as a teacher, I had a group of uh, grey nomads in the office and they had a young boy, I won't mention his name because he's now a father of kids on School of the Air, but his father won champion cowboy at the Normanton Radio. Uh. And when I, and I said, and he, on morning news on the Monday, he said, and I'm wearing his belt buckle, Chris. And I said to him, oh, can you describe the belt buckle to me? thinking he'd tell all the tourists. And he said, Chris... When I look down, it's below a certain part of my anatomy and above my belly button. There you go. Absolute laugh about how big the belt buckles are up here. They're very big. All right, Chris, good on you, mate. Nice to talk to you. Have a good one. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.